This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. So Jim and I are busily away making some amazing new episodes of the Blank Podcast. So we thought, as a celebration of just passing our 150th episode, we dive into the Blank Archive and bring you some of our very favourite and most popular episodes to date. We hope you enjoy them, and we'll see you again next week with some new episodes. podcast the podcast that talks to well-known people about their lives their careers and those difficult moments along the way i'm just Poe phillips and with me is jim daly hello to you how are you doing all right this is, this is another evening pod we're doing today it is an evening pod yeah which sort of feels it feels a, <laughs> a bit exciting mm. it feels a bit like i'm out i'm out doing i mean we literally can't leave the house at the moment so i feel like i'm out in the cinema or like out i don't know it just feels mm. feels different in a, in a in a good in a nice exciting way but this is the closest i'm going to get to going out in the yeah. evening i think yeah it's a little bit like that isn't it yeah, it does feel like a bit of a treat and i've got like the kind of slightly more mood lighting as well um i've got the know. exact same lighting uh yeah you you you're, you're looking yeah you've got some mood lighting going on there mm. i've just got my same lighting so which again, this is a visual. It doesn't really work on on podcast. No, no, it doesn't. But just for the for the viewers, um, for the viewers, <laughs> if we, only, we had viewers for the listeners, I suppose we could describe. I'm in I'm in my so I recorded my bedroom, mm-hmm. um, where I've got my desk set up and uh, all my pod equipment, and uh, you've you're in a sort of what is it study? It's a yeah uh, office technically in inverted okay. commas, but it's it's the spare room. Um, but it's got a lot of crap in it. I was going to sense myself, and then I realised that we said much worse words in the yeah, uh, say, yeah. in preceding interview. Um, it's going to become our daughter's room at some point, um, so she's going to move in here. She's very, very ready to, I think. Um, but currently, it's just got lots of yeah, lots of random rubbish in it. Um, but it doubles up. The acoustics are quite good, I think, for a for a podcast mm. studio actually. So it sort of doubles up quite nicely for that. 
Um, I was going to say, to I f- from, 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 just in, keeping in mind that we're talking to someone today who does a lot of um, work with wood, you, you've got an exciting project going on in your garden, haven't you? Yeah, nice, nice little, uh, nice segue there. Yes, so we are, the reason this room is going to become our daughter's bedroom is she says she's currently in with us in our room, but she's mm. 17 months, so she's definitely ready to have a bit of independence. Um, and we are ready for her to have that as well. Oh my God, so ready for her to move out. Um, <laughs> not at home. No, no. That'll be at least another yeah, 17 no, years. But, um, yeah. she's, she needs her own. They grow up so quickly. You don't you don't realise at that age mm. they're going to be proper little independent little person. Absolutely. And she really is. But anyway, so in, the, in our garden, we've built a cabin, you know, one of these like uh, fancy cabin things that's going to become our office and um, a chill out space and my wife Miranda is has retrained as a life coach, so she's building up a client base so she can do life coaching sessions there and and it's gonna become a baby free zone. So it's just an adult. Mm. So just literally you can go there and just work and have no interruption or just sit and read and think and actually because in the house it's just it's chaos. Um and then this will become Maria's room and then everyone gets a bit of space everyone suddenly mm. gets a bit because lockdown's been hard isn't it we're all on top of each other we literally we legally can't leave the, the house you can't go anywhere you know going going from the kitchen to the living room suddenly feels like you're going on holiday because that's the only movement you're allowed to make it it's really hard at the moment and, and, and you know i'm i know miranda and i are feeling it at the moment we're, we're all on top of each other and it, it's it's difficult so any you know if you can find a bit of space, that's what we're hoping. Basically, what I'm saying is we're going to become like Andres Iniesta and just become really good at finding a little pocket of space. It's <laughs> a very niche football reference there. <laughs> I've done it early doors as well Yeah, uh, for any for any football fans. But yeah, no, I'm really excited. We can't get in the cabin yet. We're waiting for it to be mm. insulated and electric, electricity put in it. But um, yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I think it's also important to have that separation sometimes. I mean, obviously, we've got my workspaces in in our bedroom so and but that's just you know that is circumstances for us but uh nice to have that separation you can actually i know it's only in the garden but you can walk to work in the morning or whatever and have that and you can also lock the door afterwards and come <laughs> yeah. in the house and you've got that that yeah that you know they've got that separation i do notice sometimes when i wake up if i wake up in the night and i turn to to, to my sort of uh left side i can see my desk and things start to sort of whiz through my mind like oh i didn't do that today yeah yeah oh that email must must answer that email so yeah nice to have that separation for sure yeah definitely mentally i think did i have i swear i've mentioned this before on the podcast i absolutely apologize if i already have and i think i've told you but uh my wife miranda is is an actor and so obviously has got a lot of friends in in the performery world but obviously a lot of actors are doing second jobs and stuff and a friend of hers i think was an actor but was doing a second job but worked from home used to go out the front door walk around her block around her house and go back in the front door Mm. this is in the morning and then she was at work and then she'd do nine to five or whatever it was and then she'd leave say goodbye to her colleagues which is not the cat walk back out the house around the block and back in again and that 30 second minute walk as you say was the separation Mm. between work and home and mentally i think prepared her to then be in home mode or be in work mode because at the moment it does it's really easy to mix those two up so i think anything you can do to separate that is is really important if you are someone that Mm. i mean you know you and i work from home anyway but obviously a lot lot of people during this have been forced to you know from offices to work home so they're dealing with a very different situation you and i kind of used to it but it's um yeah anything you can do i think to mentally give yourself a bit of space like that is is really important 
Yeah, I mean, I like I enjoy working from home, but I know for some people they don't like it. You know, they prefer going yeah. to to an office or a, a workspace. Um, so yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, obviously everyone's different, but um, yeah, I've I've kind of been doing the same thing as your um, as Miranda's friend, but I've been sort of doing ten kilometres in between going out of the house and going back again <laughs> as fast as possible. Not very fast, um, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, I think that's um, I think that's that's an interesting way of doing things. I've, it's not something I've thought of doing before, but yeah, that could hmm, have to think about that. But we'll hopefully have that from the back door to the cabin yes. door, which is about a ten, 30, uh, twenty, uh, maybe thirty second, no, twenty second walk. And so yeah, to sort of clear your mind, I guess, and give you that, give you that thing. How are the ten k's going? So if anyone doesn't know, I'm doing um, 10K a day throughout March. Um, I guess by the time this podcast comes out, we, March will be over. Um, mm. And I did it without injury. <laughs> <laughs> if you say it, yeah, it will manifest. It <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been all right. It's been all right so far. I'm raising money for ActionAid, who I'm ambassador of, and uh, Shout85258, who are a brilliant charity. Uh, who uh, have crisis volunteers that you can text. So, it's a, it's a, so if you're, you know, obviously people who are worried about um, talking on the phone, you know, that that, that level of communication, um, this is a text service that's, you know, totally obviously so people can um, be anonymous. So it's really, really good, really, really good. And then ActionAid is uh, women and uh, girls in poverty. So they they work all around the world. Fantastic charity that I've been involved with for quite some time. So yeah, doing just trying to raise some money for them, which is always good. So did my isolation marathon last year, and so this was a nice thing to do this year. Um, so how how can people sponsor you if if anyone's listening? If anyone's listening now and wants to sponsor you, how can they do that? Yeah, so if you do want to sponsor me, you can. It's justdiving dot com backslash crowdfunding uh, backslash Giles Payton Phillips. So there you go. There you go. I'm sure there'll be some people listening who will want to help out. Um, that would be lovely. Shall we do some tweets? We'd love to, but I think before we do some tweets, we should probably um, <laughs> introduce today's guest. Well, I was trying to build up to it because because I was trying to build the tension because I think today's guest is one of the biggest names we've had on this podcast. I mean, it was such an honour to talk to him, and I don't mm. think he's done many UK podcasts, possibly any. And um, for him to give us about an hour and a half of his time was fantastic. Mm. Uh, and it was just, it was just the most fantastic conversation mm. we've had. Um, so I was trying to build up to it, but if it, it, maybe I've spent too long uh, building up. Anyway, maybe we should just go go into it. Well, we will do some tweets, but I think, yeah, well, today's guest is Nick Offerman, an incredible actor, uh, carpenter, woodworker, yeah. writer, comedian, guitarist, although he'd probably say that, uh, <laughs> he'd probably say that he wasn't very good at any of those things, um, but uh, very, very, almost humbling to talk to, to Nick, big fan yeah. of his work, obviously very well known for Parks and Rec and his character, Ron Swanson, who's this very iconic character but he's done lots of things i mean recently i saw him in devs which was uh um, alex garland um produced and directed a show that was on iplayer still on iplayer it's well worth watching really good nick plays a 
tech entrepreneur, sort of very shady um, character. That's a br- but that was a brilliant show, and w- highly recommend it. So that's yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, prolific writer. I mean, he's written lots of books. Obviously, done books about his woodwork and his woodwork studio, uh, the workshop, and then books like Gumption, which is all about kind of his sort of take on American heroes. Um, and uh, he's written a couple of biographies as well. So yeah, brilliant, um, brilliant, brilliant guy, and uh, just what a lovely company. Uh, amazing company, and just a such really, a really humble person, really humble and thoughtful, intelligent person. And you know, I think it's probably easy in that industry, in that world, to sort of get sucked into it. But he's he's someone that really has mm. a big perspective on where he's come from and the world he's in, and just a very very thoughtful person and it would and at, but at the same time and i don't think this probably happens with a lot of sort of a-list hollywood celebrities incredibly easy to talk to i mean it was an absolute mm. breeze talking to him he was just really warm and i know we're not you know we're not talking to our guests in person we're doing it over zoom as we have done for the last year or so but you could feel that warmth coming through uh the zoom call and it was just it was an absolute pleasure talking to him and some of the advice and some of the sort of nuggets of you know things that he's experienced and he offers throughout the whole episode is sort of woven beautifully into just this conversation and the stories mm. he tells about growing up and the stories about uh his life and career and then woven in are these bits of advice and these sayings and these teachings and uh i mean it, it could have been a, a talk you know it could have been a talk at a university or something it was just it was very natural and easy to talk to him so mm. yeah i think the listeners are really i mean i i enjoyed it uh and i think our listeners are going to enjoy it as well yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of thought, you know, I've had a few chats with Nick, to, you know, obviously over the last sort of year or so, um, I've sent him a copy of my book and he sent me a copy of his book and it was, you know, very nice. And I got to know him a bit and I know that we have got a lot of things in common, a lot of things that we see think in the world the same way. Um, and it was just nice to be able to actually have a proper sit down and chat with him and hear about kind of his ideas on the world, which, you know, I'm obviously very much in line with and uh yeah it was a, it was a real treat to talk to him so yeah thanks nick for coming on um but we should probably do some tweets yes i've got a tweet here from alex robertson who says a bit of new podcast listening this week and i'm loving blank pod with giles and jim so many good guests izzy sutty is my favorite so far one for the music nerds Izzy, oh, such a lovely person such a great episode and I, when i saw that tweet i, I remember thinking did we end we said we were going to. Did we end with that one of the songs she sent us from her yes, band? We did, did we? We did. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. You did that one. Good. I mean, you mixed that one. Oh, brilliant. Good. Yeah. Mm. It really was one for the music nerds, but just uh, what a lovely, lovely guest. Yeah, love Izzy. Such a lovely person. And and well worth following on Twitter. Every night yeah. she does her um, sooty sweet. Sooty sweet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is just her flaw after the sort of. Uh, carnage of the day with the kids and uh, it's brilliant um i've got a um tweet here from karen skoda who is kanuki's room on twitter listening to jill halfpenny episode on the blank pod extremely inspired by her story about asking for respect during auditions she is right to say that just because we are desperate for a job doesn't mean that we should accept abuse very important point absolutely very important point yeah and uh jill another fantastic guest another we've had you know all, the three mentions today nick offerman izzy sati jill halfpenny and a lot of our others are really genuine p- 
people mm. you know these are big celebs you see them on tv and then you meet them we've been lucky enough to meet them on a podcast and they're really genuine down-to-earth humble people and that's just been the nicest thing about doing all these episodes and we're about to go into one now where they're incredibly down-to-earth you know just Salt uh, of the earth, humble. I would say. Yeah, salt of the earth. You know, and he talks a lot about you know farm farm life. In fact, the start of the conversation is talking about sort of farming in uh, in America and the industry and something he's very passionate about. But it is someone that just knows his roots and you know just uh, an absolute joy to talk to. So I think we should enough teasing, Giles. Yes, I absolutely. think we should go into this week's episode. So this is uh, the fantastic and legendary Nick Offerman on the Blank Podcast. <laughs> just gotten out of hair and makeup uh for the last two and a half hours I have to say. I was... obviously <laughs> I, th- I felt i haven't i felt like it was a little jarring so i had them add a uh what you call a spot up here yeah well, that's important i've got one down here actually <laughs> try and bring just bring it down a little bit we feel less intimidated now i don't want to confuse your audience and have them think i'm clive owen <laughs> 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 I have the same worries. For him, yeah. I get a lot of Clive, a yeah. lot of Clooney, um, a lot of Cleese, actually, if I'm if I'm <laughs> standing on a box. <laughs> it's all the C yeah, it's all the C's. Clive, Clooney, and Cleese. Now, Nick, I'd like to start, if I may, by talking about one of your heroes, but uh, someone who's become a hero to me more recently, and that's uh Wendell Berry. Um, All right. Ho- hope we have time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did think that when I was thought. I mean, the piece of wild things is is one of my favourite poetry books, and that poem actually, I just read it to Jim before we came on because Jim's not as familiar with Wendell's work, and uh, I have to say that particular poem has really kind of got me through the last year. Um, just that kind of idea that you know, I've I've had many a night sort of. S- s- waking up and being worried for my kids futures and but then sort of being able to reflect and go out into the world and enjoy enjoy the wild enjoy the elements um enjoy the nature of things and uh yeah so i what i wanted to ask you is how did you first get into his work well uh wonderfully i was working at a theater in chicago called the steppenwolf theater which is this great american theater company and um, an actor in the show uh, took a shine to me. I, I was understudying. I was actually understudying Ethan Hawke in a Sam Shepard okay. a Sam Shepard play called Buried Child. And this great Kentucky actor named Leo Burmester, who is sadly no longer with us, he I don't know. He just spotted me. We became friends, and he said he gave me a book of Wendell Berry short stories and said, I think you might like this guy. And I read them, and the thing that just knocked me over, Wendell Berry is, I think he's 85 or 86 now. He's a Kentucky farmer and a writer. And he he, uh, writes about a father and a son putting in a fence row or a hedgerow with with all of the reverence and beauty as though he's describing a, a Bolshoi ballet performance. The the respect that he affords to the, the simple, good, honest work that we all do 
to express our affection and, and love for each other and for the planet and for, you know, the, the, that sustains us just knocked me over. I, I said, holy cow, this guy is talking about me and my family. And, uh, and it kind of was, was life changing. Um, I immediately tried to get a hold of him. I started writing him letters and he wrote back, uh, and, and it took me, I guess, about 20 years, uh, to finally meet him. Okay. <laughs> um, he, he is very generous. He would always write me back when I would write him. Um, but he has a thing. He, uh, I wanted to adapt one of his stories and he's, he doesn't want any, he doesn't want to see any adaptation of his work while he's alive. And so okay. we maintain sort of a friendly correspondence, um, and finally, I got to help produce a documentary about him called Look and See. And it, and I got to go interview him for a book I was writing called Gumption. And so then I was able to befriend him and his family. <laughs> yeah. I've is. got props. Um, and, and so, and the thing was, it's funny, I think that uh, all of my introductions to him didn't really uh, appeal to him. You know, I'm an actor. Uh, and I always said, I, I'm not looking to, to get rich here. Few people who uh, are interested in the, the subject of agriculture are looking to make money, <laughs> sadly. Uh, but I said, I, I really just want to, I want to communicate your mm. thoughts, your vision to the world. And that didn't really ring a bell. But then it turned out that his son, he has a son and a daughter, and his son is a woodworker and also a farmer. And he had a copy of a woodworking magazine on which I was on the cover uh, describing how to um, how to build this jig to flatten a slab of a tree to make a tabletop out of it. And so the son said, oh, I know that guy. He's this woodworker. And Wendell Berry said, oh, why didn't you say so? I, I didn't realize he, <laughs> he was decent. Um, <laughs> let's get him over here. So I finally got to meet him. That must have been amazing to be able to go and actually, you know, it's funny when we think of our, you know, like our heroes having heroes, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously a big fan of your work and, and then you think like, you don't think of your heroes sometimes having heroes. Well, I, I mean, that's, I feel like that's all I am is, is the, uh, the produce of my teachers. Um, I, I'm a theater actor who ended up working also in TV and film and a woodworker uh, because I wasn't that good at acting. So I had to pay my rent by another means for a long time. And so when I finally unexpectedly got a book deal uh, or I began to tour as a humorist, uh, I, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm not a I'm not a hilarious like joke writer uh, and I'm not a journalist and I'm I'm not. I don't think I'm all that smart, uh, but I think I, I think I have had the great fortune to have run into amazing teachers from my parents and my family to theater teachers to people that I've read and met. And so how about if I can figure out a way to uh, pleasantly regurgitate these teachings to anybody who, who wants to pay attention to me? So oh, you you know you like the way I fall down? Check out this thing that Wendell Berry said, or <laughs> let me inter introduce you to uh, a, a 
fantastic lady named Yoko Ono, who you might be familiar with through her rock music career. But it turns out she's the most formative conceptual artist uh, in Western history. <laughs> like, so, you know, that's that's something that I enjoy and it allows me to feel a lot less insecure. I'm, I'm not coming up with the content. I'm just repackaging it. Just, just just passing it on. Yeah, I pick I pick Wendell Berry's tomatoes and uh, and make them into the sauce uh, that I put in, into my pizza, and I also try and sneak a bunch of broccoli in there. But <laughs> still, I, the key is that the audience thinks they're getting pizza. <laughs> <laughs> and who doesn't like pizza? Exactly. <laughs> Have you been doing a lot of cooking recently? I I mean I love cooking. Uh, my wife uh, Megan Mullally, the legend, um, she's been the big uh, the, the the big pandemic. Uh, she she she's made the big chef leap in the pandemic. I am a, I'm a medium cook. I love to uh, to cook things on the grill and smoke meats. Uh, and and so that's something I've I've gotten to sort of nerd out on during the pandemic, but. Megan just took off. Uh, she hasn't really had much interest in cooking for most of her life. And she one day had a hankering and, and said, you know what, I'm going to make my own cookie dough. I really want, you know, the, the decadent treat of just some cookie dough to eat. So she found a recipe. She made the cookie dough. And just in opening that door, the Pandora's box of available recipes you know, and like, holy, the the amount of stuff. <laughs> and so she just took off and it's been really wonderful. Uh, she's, she's always amazing at whatever she sets her mind to. And, and uh, her cooking has been no exception. So my challenge has been to, uh, to cut myself off from uh, only eating twice as much as I should and then <laughs> yeah. trying to maintain my waistline while doing so. Because I bought a smoker yeah. at the beginning of the first lockdown um, here in the UK and started smoking like um, pork shoulder. That was that was my thing, and pulled pork. That was that was my that was my gig really. It's yeah. it's the it's the best because it's it's the longest cook time. So yeah. whatever you like to do, if you if you're talking to people or reading or listening to stuff, I like I like. You know, I don't want to I don't want a one or two hour smoke. I want an eight hour or eleven yeah, exactly. hour. Smoke. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, maybe you get to enjoy a couple beers, um, and then it's just so easy. It's so idiot-proof, and you end up with this mass of delicious pulled pork. I mean, yeah, and it lasts for days. You'll be like days and days of meals and lunches, and it's just amazing. Yeah, there's something lovely about that, and I think, um, I mean, I'm still getting to grips with my smoker. I don't know what kind of smoker you've got, but mine is. Um, it's it's good, but I, it's just maintaining a constant heat that I'm I struggle with a little bit. That's yeah, that's the challenge. I I have two of them. Um, one is a uh, one's this big uh, stainless steel double grill from Tulsa, Oklahoma, called a Hasty Bake, and it's nice. very charming. <laughs> Amazing. It's 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 you know it's what you would imagine a sort of shit kicking uh, American dad would be cooking at. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I also have one of those Japanese uh, big green eggs. Oh, they're really popular at the moment, aren't they? Those? They are. And that, um, 
that I've had much better luck uh, fine-tuning my temperature on the big green egg, the ceramic. Yeah. That that's I think just much better engineered. Um, mm. My other grill is rectilinear, and so it's uh, it, you, you know it's like driving an old pickup truck. You you have to treat it with a lot more gentleness and know just where to throw an elbow <laughs> to keep it running. Yeah, I'm so just always it, like sort of opening and closing vents thinking, oh, no, that one, no, if I open that one, then there's going to brew heat. And then it's got a door at the front. It's a bit like uh, like an old steam train. You've got like a bit at the door at the front <laughs> that you just shovel in the coal. And, you know, I go and get myself a little peak cap and um, feel like I'm proper. Well, it's, you know, it's funny. This topic is um, directly tied. Uh, I don't know if you've read the books of Michael Pollan, um, his big hit was called The Omnivore's Dilemma, and he, he's a wonderful uh, American writer. He writes about food and where our food comes from and how that has changed, especially sort of uh, across the Industrial Revolution. Um, he, has, he has these great adages or, or mantras like, eat, uh, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Or he says, when you're in the grocery store, if there's more than five ingredients on anything, it's probably not food. Like, don't okay. don't eat anything that your grandparents wouldn't recognize as food, uh, <laughs> yeah. because we've become so accustomed to eating processed items. Mm. Michael Pollan used to be an editor, or the editor, I think, of Harper's Magazine uh, 20, 30 years ago, and he was editing a, some Wendell Berry essays. And Michael okay, wanted to yeah. get into gardening, and so he took the advice of, of Wendell's work because Wendell, one of Wendell's sort of foundational notions is um, eating is an agricultural act. If you if you like food, like if you think you're not interested in farming, but you like food, you're incorrect because if you like to eat good food, <laughs> then you have to take an interest in agriculture whether it's the, the animals we raise, the soil, the health of the oceans, the watersheds, it's, it's all inexplicably tied together. And so the pandemic has been a wonderful time, I think, for people to have to slow down and stay home and notice the nature outside their window or in their garden. Uh, if, per, many people have begun to grow their own vegetables uh, or herbs or animals or chickens or, or eggs. And uh, and I think that's going to be a really healthy step back, to, you know, away from consumerism and industrial food systems, hopefully towards, you know, reminding ourselves about the health of our soils. So I think that's why people like this podcast, because they come for the chat, but then they leave with culinary tips and, you know, food chat and just extra, extra bits. So, uh, you know, we just we just tick all boxes on this podcast. That's well. I I really appreciate that. I the last thing I wanted. I, I find uh, podcasts that uh, that are just like. So were there any funny stories from the set of a movie you worked on? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's yeah. there's there's an audience for that, but that's not my bag. Um, no, and and you know, actually, I would uh, I would suggest to you because I I know. I've listened to episodes of your podcast, and there's there's sort of this great um, uh, springboarding networking quality. Um, so my my next suggestion: Have you guys read uh, the books of James Rebanks, the Shepherd from the Lake District? 
No. no. He, I've he, heard of him though. I've heard the name. He and his and his wife are incredible on social media. Uh, their their handles are like Herdy Shepherd because he because he uh, raises Herdwick sheep. Um, I befriended them over the last few years and ended up spending a lot of time at their farm. And I bought a cow uh, in, in in their herd of belted Galloways because because of this obsession with just agriculture and and the people. The people that are understanding uh, what a huge misstep industrial farming is, um, like so many things, you know, in our modern age, the people making the money, the the economists, and and those are they're so inextricably linked to the government and the the holders of the purse strings, they're all saying no 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 we need more we need bigger we need American style you know mm. it's all about profit and money. And everybody who actually has their fingers in the soil, the people that are actually uh, in, responsible for the health and the quality of the soil, the fish, the, you know, the meats, the vegetables, etc., they're all saying, "No, no, 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 no. Go to go to the American Midwest. We've lost. We've ruined all of the topsoil. We call yeah, it hummus. Yeah, yeah. All of the beautiful, delicious nutrients we've ruined because of industrial." monocultures where they said instead of mimicking nature let's use chemicals to kill everything <laughs> in this dirt then we'll pump back in the few chemicals we need to raise only corn or soybeans yeah, or yeah, wheat yeah, yeah. or whatever and it's terribly dangerous it's uh it's horrible the soil you know is now like a, a desert and I, I happen to know because uh of my friend james the the, the fell shepherd that that you know uh, England is is uh, is threatening to sort of follow a similar industrial path and Probably, it's yeah. it's terrifying because eventually we're going to run out of soil we're going to run mm -hmm. out of clean water you know we're seeing it around the world it's not going to be oil wars it's going to be water wars. <laughs> Jim, it's us again. It is. We're here again with another uh, special announcement. And this one, Giles, is about our patron that we've launched because we love our blank community and we want to offer something extra to give back to them. We do. We do. We, lo we do love our community very, very much. And it's lovely interacting with our community on a weekly basis. But we want to just give you a bit more stuff, more blank stuff, because we feel that you might enjoy it. Yeah, so we're, we're trying to expand our community and expand what we can offer back to you guys for your support. So we're doing what every other podcast in the world is doing. We're starting a patron, uh, which means we can offer you guys more content. So our patron uh, URL is patreon.com, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash blank podcast. And there, Giles, is a range of options you can sign up to. Yeah, there's all sorts of things that people can get from our various different tiers that you can find on there. How many tiers are there altogether, Jim? Well, there's four tiers in total, um, and they offer a range of, of things. For example, you can get ad-free episodes. Uh, you can get them 24 hours earlier than the public get them. There's bonus content with our guests that only patrons will get. Um, Giles, there's, there's a 20% code off merchandise. 
Oh my goodness, there's even more stuff that you can get that's <laughs> blank orientated. Um, there's also going to be a very exclusive Facebook group that people can interact with us and one another. And we can talk about the, all different things, but obviously we can talk about the various guests coming out. We might be able to, able to give you our, our patrons some special insights into what guests are coming on so that they can pitch some questions themselves. Exactly. Just another way we're trying to get our listeners really involved in the community and the making of blank uh and then in the top tier there's going to be bonus episodes charles yeah and we're even going to do some director's commentary where we yes. tell you a little bit more about the the sort of things that have gone on when we've either gone to record with someone or that the process of recording the, the, the feelings we had on those days and just give you a little bit more insight into i guess what goes into making a podcast Indeed. So if all that sounds like the sort of thing you'd like to get on board with um, and you'd like to join our ever-expanding blank community and also help us keep making this podcast because your support through Patreon will help us keep making blank and we would really, really appreciate it because we love making this this podcast and we want to keep doing it forever, essentially. Um, Please do go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash blank podcast and sign up to whichever tier takes your fancy. Well, I think I'd, I'd spoken to you, Nick, about my... Um, I've got a good friend, Pat, who I play in a band with, and he is um, stockman at a, a place called Nep Castle, which is in West Sussex, which is sort of about... I guess it's about 30, 40 miles from where I live. And it's a rewilding project. I, li- I listened um, to that episode. You sent yeah, it to me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's fascinating because um, yeah, he's been where... They have long longhorn cattle there who are just, you know, they just roam around 3,000 acres they've got. And um, and yeah, and they are churning up those carp, getting those carbons back into the soil. They're getting that good soil coming back out. Um, it's an incredible project, and I, I think I said to you, if you're ever over here, we'll we'll go and give us a tour. But I remember him telling me that he got really excited when they they were driving around the estate and they found a, a huge cow pat, and he, they jumped out, and it was absolutely swarming with dung beetles and stuff. Yeah creatures that had not been in this area for like oh. hundreds of years and i mean the butterflies coming back to this area that have not been there for for hundreds of years so it's an incredible thing that can happen if people put the time and effort into doing those things well that's you know that's what what uh that's what i glean from these these teachers that i love like wendell berry and james rebanks James is also rewilding, you know, involved in in large uh, the the Allswater uh, rewilding project all around the Lake District, and and that's just it. When you see these species return that have been gone for for decades, it it simply speaks of the health of your ecosystem, and and perhaps you are going to grow, you're going to raise less sheep, like you're going to produce less mutton by pound but by nutrition by quality and by overall value the economy is way up that's the thing when we when we hear in america it's infuriating because they they always talk about the economy the economy is up and the question wendell berry has a wonderful essay called i think the two economies or something like that because the question is what economy are you talking about you're talking about the numbers on Wall Street, the stock market, the sort of 
the magical ephemeral economy that has no effect on you know 98% of the world that is are just trying to do our work and raise our families and and part of doing that is providing them with with valuable calories it's 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 something that really drives me crazy um the uh the notion that that both of these writers espouse and uh and i always when i talk about james i always like to mention his wife helen as well because they both do such a great job of they're they're a they run a farm they have four kids and they're such an incredible you know sort of self-contained agricultural operation and they have beauty you know they're they're in the lake district so every everything is gorgeous especially from from where i sit but some days are wonderful and fun and joyful and many are bleak and cold or you know uh, the, there's a lot of of life and also a lot of death on any farm but uh but ultimately the uh James and i also took part in a in a wonderful documentary uh and book called uh uh sacred cow is the name of this documentary and it's uh a, a very smart uh lady um diana rogers who's who's hash her uh twitter is sustainable dish um and it's all about uh debunking all the all the myths about imagine uh, about fake meat products mm. um it's one of the things again you know the 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 corporate uh interests see oh we can sell a, a huge load of these impossible burgers or these like fake hamburgers uh and we can we can wrap them in this ideology that they that they're no animals were harmed this is you know this is good for the planet and that's all crap uh you know and i'm not and i'm not i'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but it's but it's it's peddling a lot of falsehoods. There's actually no way to be properly vegan or vegetarian, and what I mean by that is all of those foods that are being raised on a farm. There's there's some something's being killed. <laughs> if you just, if you eat only squash for the rest of your life, unless uh, unless you're somehow raising it yourself and you just shake hands with the snails and the parasites and the moths and the rabbits if you know if you can somehow magically get everyone to agree not to eat your garden then that's the only way to properly be vegan and vegetarian but in truth the world of of producing food and consuming it involves death as part of the cycle and and so instead of like trying to eradicate that i think again we need to look back to pre-industrialization and say how did everybody get along so well with the planet by mimicking what nature was doing instead of saying hey if we uh, if we stamp down nature if we k kill off nature we can make a lot more money until we've ruined this acreage uh but by then we'll you know we'll move on to uh to another business and it's it's recognizing you know that's the that's the message i try to help pass along is like pay, just pay attention to what you're buying at the store and that michael pollan's books are great for that the omnivore's dilemma is is incredible 
he does four different uh, meals. The, the one end of the spectrum is takes the whole family through the drive-through at McDonald's. Okay. And then he and then he breaks it all down. Here's where all this food came from. Here's what's actually in these burgers. Here's what you and so forth. Uh, and then like a Whole Foods, um, then a normal grocery store, like a, a sort of bigger, you know, corporate grocery store. All the and then finally um, uh, a meal that he's entirely foraged and hunted himself. And, and it's just fascinating when you think about it, you know, he breaks down uh, all of the BS we're being sold in the grocery store with words like organic or or pasture raised or grass fed. Yeah. As soon as any of these come on the scene, then I don't know how it is in England, but in America, the corporations then commandeer this language mm. and they lobby in Congress. So they so, you know, it's like in in manufacturing if uh, I, I'm guessing at these numbers, but it's some something embarrassing. Like you can have all of your your automobile made in China and in in uh, in, in Mauritius, and then as long as thirty percent of the assembly is done in South Carolina, then you can stamp it with "Made in America." Yeah. Like so, th there's all of the all of this obfuscation going on. And it's it's across the board. Your clothes, your automobiles, your athletic shoes or trainers, as some might call them, your food items. It's all. And so you know, I I feel like we have happily and lazily led ourselves down such a primrose path of like oh, off, giving our agency away. Um, in America, we see it with our fossil fuels, I, and I I know you guys do too, where. You send a company your money to say, okay, I'll send you uh, this money and you'll provide me with electricity or natural gas or whatever it is. That's our deal. I'm just going to assume that you're going to be cool, of course, with the way you procure. Uh, <laughs> like, I, 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 I mean, I can't imagine you would... Uh, lop off the top of a mountain to get at the coal or i imagine that you're going to treat your work you know there's there's a complicity that, w that the general public turns a blind eye to like we're giving over our agency to these corporations and and those agencies it turns out are not dealing uh squarely with the planet or with the people you know that are working for them and i think i i'm I'm always optimistic. I don't know why, but I, I feel like we're coming out of that. I feel like, you know, the the astonishing circus that has been American politics uh, in my in my lifetime, but certainly over the last four or five years, has really exposed uh, a lot of the the abject bullshit that we're constantly fed um, mm -hmm. from all directions. You know, um, the it's it's been very gratifying and comforting uh the sort of liberal ass kicking that has taken place in just in the weeks since since uh Biden has been elected uh so much <laughs> insane good has been done to just sort of reassert like trying to take care of our people that are hurting and and that are in trouble um but still even when the democrats are in power 
these corporations still tend to thrive. You know, the, uh, there's a lot of a lot of things being hushed up uh, by the industries pushing their policies uh, through our government. So I'm optimistic that we will continue waking up to that in our country. Uh, we, you know, voter suppression is a huge thing where. Mm. Uh, we had we had a civil war. I don't know if you guys ever heard about that, but the the, the I beat the, the Virginia. Yeah, the, I mean, something I got I told tried to, by many people when I went yeah. to Virginia that 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 um that, that my ass was kicked, um, not mine literally, but my my nation. Right, and it you know that's that's a great example of of our exceptionalism of like, <laughs> in, in, instead of saying we're great, I always. I always open any, like right now I'm writing a book, uh, a new book, and I always open any content that I'm creating. <laughs> like my starting point is, all right, you're an asshole. Like that, <laughs> that's the jumping off point. You you can't, like, you can't escape grounded, the fact <laughs> that you are a jackass. Yeah, like now, if we're all, if we're all in agreement, let's let's talk about some stuff. And and that sensibility of like we kicked England's ass or or anybody's ass is so dumb to me because when I when I think about there, there's some great Tom Waits lyrics uh, in a song called Day After Tomorrow where he says it's a kid writing home from from a war in the Middle East and he's saying you know uh, the the other side. Like we're we're going to go into battle tomorrow, and the other side uh, aren't they praying to the same God we do? And so, how does God choose? Whose prayers does He refuse? Um, and I always just find that so moving because when you ultimately you don't have to step back very far from our circumstance to look at the planet and say, yeah, we you know we killed all of those Japs or whatever you know people. You take a little step back, and you realize, oh, we've killed ourselves. We just we've just shot <laughs> off our left foot and our right elbow, and uh, and that's that's actually terrible. Um, instead of America first, can't why can't when will it be just everybody? <laughs> yeah. And there's no first yeah. or last. It's like, how's everybody doing? It's if you have people over to your house. Let's say there's eight people. You don't, you don't, you know, you're not supposed to say, okay, uh, you first. You say, does everybody have a beer? Does every, you know, mm -hmm. does everybody have what you need? But as, eventually, if you expand that and get big enough, you're like, okay, well, let's, let's take care of our fellow Catholics for, or whatever it is, our, our fellow <laughs> Italians or whatever your, your proclivities are. Mine are for Italian Catholics. Uh, I've revealed my, I've revealed my leanings, <laughs> but that, I mean, that that's, you know, I'm lucky enough that I get to like, get paid to like fall down and make people laugh and entertain people and, and, and travel around as a storyteller. And so I try to, I try to keep my, my themes in that vein of, of like, Hey, by the way, you guys want to, might want to check out who's growing your apples and, uh, and, and how much they're being paid and so forth. Well, actually, I mean, that's a really good point because entertainment, actually, before I go on to that, I really want to know, and I've literally made a note in my notepad, what was the name of the cow that you bought? 
Her name uh, is Lomond Eyebright. And uh, <laughs> charismatically, she's, she's from the, uh, a farm on the shores of Loch Lomond. And, and so that's traditionally how you name at least a cow uh, is the, uh, the farm name and then like their chosen name. And she's a beauty. She she was uh, she was the star of the sale that year at Castle Douglas, uh, nice. up in uh, the southwest corner of Scotland. And I, I you know, again, I it's a dream. I, I love visiting uh, all uh, of the British Isles uh, and Scotland and Ireland. I'm, n- I'm never quite sure what what's the way to say that without pissing off any of the Irish. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I'm half Irish, and I still don't even know. What, I, mean, I always get nervous I when get, I'm talking yeah, about... Yeah, and it's ever-changing. United Kingdom or... Right, and between British. Scotland and, and England right now, like, it's... I just love it all. I'm fr- And it's funny. I, in recent years, I've done the ancestry test. Um, my dad's actually adopted, so I'm not an offerman by blood, uh, or... Our blood is Hatfield and Roberts. And uh, when when the ancestry thing first came in, I was crazily Irish, like 47% Irish. And my wife, Megan Mullally of the Galway (laughs) Mullallys, was 44% Irish. And I was like, holy shit, (laughs) Nick Offerman is more Irish than Megan Mullally. Then they they rejiggered it a year ago or something and my family is really into the genealogy so we're kind of yeah yeah we stay on top of it and mine came back in and suddenly my irish went down to 17 percent, and now i'm 42 percent scottish and i was Mm -hmm. like this is this is probably going to become some stand-up for me because you're literally like going to get me killed if you keep (laughs) you know switching the mixer board There, there, there are certain you know uh, Hadrian's wall is going to come into play and so forth. <laughs> and so I, I love the whole shebang, but uh, getting to tour, getting to tour to theaters all over Ireland and Scotland and England and make people laugh uh, and then enjoy fish and chips and a pint. And, and just I'm, I'm, my wife and I are both terrible Anglophiles. All of that is part of what led me to befriend the Rebanks family and and then inexplicably, you know, he was like, "Yeah, we're you should come see us sometime." Then I got cast on a show called Devs with by Alex yeah, Garland on uh, FX, and we ended up shooting uh, for some weeks in Manchester. And so suddenly, I said to James, "Hey, I'm a 90 minute train ride south of you," and and that was it. We were off and running, and and you know. That's the thing is because I grew up in this farming family in Illinois, and for me, I'd rather go meet a farmer and and his or her family and and see how they operate and get to work with them on their farm. I'd rather do that. That's like Disneyland for me. And so James always makes fun of me because I go to his farm, and it's pouring rain, it's freezing cold, and he's like let's go uh, mend a stacked stone wall that some of my sheep have knocked over. And and we skip across the pasture. I'm so, he said, I, I, it's pretty lucky for you that you like working because this is, this is a ridiculous <laughs> friendship. Like you come see me and we go split firewood. 
And I say, well, I think it's because I grew up doing that. And now I live in Los mm -hmm. Angeles where I don't get to split firewood and we don't have stacked stone walls. And I, and I don't get to tend to any agriculture, you know, that's, that's the thing is, uh, that, that draws me to, to this sensibility. And I, and I'm aware that I do eat. Uh, I am aware of, of who comes to my farmer's markets in Los Angeles and who has the freshest, uh, most wonderfully raised meat sources, um, which brings me back to that project, Sacred Cow. The uh, the sensibility, there's this huge beef debate going on, and and the the truth in it, the the, the vilification of beef um, is not wrong, uh, but but there's a saying that they have: it's not the cow, it's the how, and it's true of of all of our beef, pork, chicken, and egg, and and farmed uh factory farmed fish products all of that absolutely i'm against all industrialization i mean i'm i'm a handmade woodworker i build my own boat and so i can understand how uh enjoyable life can be if i only have one pair of trainers instead of 17 in super cute colors i get the allure i love acute colored trainers much as the next fella but i understand that if i only have one pair and i wear them to go play with people that uh is probably more enjoyable than shopping for the other 16 pairs and so i'm as susceptible to this as anybody i'm, I'm like uh, you know you show me a shiny object i'll sit on my phone for 72 hours you know if 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 there are enough work boots to shop for that's I, I get it and so a lot of this it's it's my it's my self-help uh system by writing about this stuff and talking about it i'm my first <laughs> i'm my target audience like everybody especially you buddy don't forget to find out who made that bread that's i mean i, I was gonna say because that sounds like a Again, actually, before I go into it, I'm just going to say Lomond, Lockman's Eyebright. That could be a drag queen name. I'm just throwing it out there. Could potentially be a drag queen name for anyone listening. Absolutely. I think, I think in general, uh, British cow names would double wonderfully as drag queen names. <laughs> I agree. So if anyone's listening that's thinking about going into drag. Um, I, that makes I, me strut immediately. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, that real, the real bovine strut. That's definitely my, uh, my drag style. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds like it sounds like you have a real sort of sense of perspective uh, of sort of who you are, but also you know you're in a you're in a crazy industry. You're in a busy, crazy industry. You know, which obviously has changed a lot during lockdown. And we hope, you know, I do stand up comedy. We hope we'll come back again after lockdown. But it seems like to get to survive in that industry, you have to have a sense of perspective of who you are and where you've come from and what's important. And it sounds like that is something that's that's driven you through all the successes you've had, keeping you grounded. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I recognized uh, at some point early, like I'm 50, 25 years ago, I, I realized that there weren't a lot of people in the business. And this is, this is in Chicago, just trying to get cast in plays. I realized there weren't a lot of people 
with my sort of my legitimate background as a laborer and as a, as a very rural uh, dipshit, for for lack of a better word, like, um, and and I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I, I mean that to say that I I was really ignorant to uh, the culture uh, by by the time I got to the city. Uh, people had to turn me on to things like the Beatles. And, and this is in the, in the early nineties where I was like, Oh my God, these, <laughs> these guys are amazing. Have you heard this? The white album. It's amazing. Um, and so, and I still feel like I'm catching up, but what I realized at some point there is that, uh, that it was not, um, that it was not a, a detriment to my abilities, but in, in fact, it was, uh, it was my greatest value. Um, and it's it's never been disproven. Whenever I I manage to succeed at something over the ensuing decades, uh, it's it's despite or it's not it's not despite my funk, the particular mold on my cheese. It's because of that mold. It's because of my peculiarities. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm working on a book right now, and I'm whenever I do anything, I'm constantly aware of my failings, as anyone with with a healthy you know sense of self should be when i i dare sing and play guitar in front of an audience i have no business doing either of those things and but what i learned is if i can make them laugh and or think then they then they forgive my musicianship um and it's it's a weird thing because i still i can't stand to hear it uh if if you record it and play it back to me i say no thank you <laughs> <laughs> um, let me listen to something tuneful, but, uh, that's, you know, one of my greatest teachers in college, a Japanese, my, my sensei, a uh, master of the Japanese arts named Shozo Sato. One of the greatest sort of Zen koans that he ever laid on me was to always maintain the attitude of a student. And that just really hit home with me that of course, uh, I'm lucky enough to have a lifetime of, of being paid to create things, um, entertainment of, of, of several stripes, you know, uh, acting jobs, writing books, uh, writing comedy and touring, these clumsy songs that I mentioned, but also things out of wood. And, I, and my, my wood shop is a business, Offerman Wood Shop. There's three employees there right now making our products. Um, all of these things are part of my education. Uh, you you never you're, you're never done as a human being, and that's what I that's what I want to always reiterate to our our governments and say. You're talking about this in our country. You know, people say if it was in the Constitution or not, that's the deciding factor. Well, they had the wherewithal to say, "Hey, this is just a." You know, in the late 18th century, this is the best ideas we can come up with. But hopefully, will you guys will get smarter and yeah. better. And so, as as long as we're human beings, we'll never be done cooking. We'll never be like, okay, good. Everybody's taken care of. We have no foibles. You know, we're all somehow miraculously saintly. Instead, that's why I always start everything with like, okay, I'm, uh, what kind of asshole am I today? Because even if I, if I fix something or if I'm like nicer to my mom and dad, okay, I've got that squared away, but I, I just 
got into three road rage incidents on the way here, you know, <laughs> there's always something and, and there always will be because we're human. So to, to continue to try and address those in a balanced way and work, put that into my work is just a very lucky circumstance that, that, uh, I, I hope I never lose sight of. That's, that's also the source of humility. Um, I, I, I get to do acting jobs and I'm so grateful when I get a call that says, Hey, these artists want to collaborate with you on this film, TV show, theater play, whatever. And I, I think, Oh, fantastic. I am going to do my best. My parents gave me a wonderful work ethic. I'm going to work as hard as I can. And I'm, at the same time, I'm always aware of, I could always name eight or 10 people who would be just as good or better than me at anything I do. So if, if fate, if the, if you roll the dice and it comes up, Nick Offerman, you know, never forget the other sides of the dice and say, okay, thank you. Uh, this time it's me. Next time it's Clive Owen, George Clooney, or John Cleese. <laughs> it's always those guys. One of the big. It's a four-sided die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking, like you know, that um, you've obviously alluded to your your upbringing and stuff, and I think you know, uh, has that given you, I guess, sort of sense of self-reliance? You know, that up, that kind of upbringing that you you know you've I know you worked doing some of the carpentry stuff and, and the woodwork when you were in, you know, in the theater groups that you started in Chicago, you were doing that alongside it. So that this sort of self, self-reliance that you've had to sort of do and that has sort of carried on throughout your career? It has. Uh, I, I have the most incredible uh, mom and dad and, um, and they, it, it, it's, it's pretty storybook. Like our small town, um, they both went to high school at the building, which is my junior high. And so, and, and their families uh, were around. So, so to this day, I'm the, Megan and I are the only ones in my family that don't live within like an eight mile radius. And we're talking about like 36 people. Um, and they're all farmers, school teachers, paramedics, uh, my brother is a craft brewer, so he's the king of the family. But everybody else is an incredible <laughs> uh, nurses. I mean, they're all public servants. They're they're uh, such salt of the earth people, and and so I was raised with this self sufficiency. The great thing about farmers, I mean, that's if, if there's one thing I can do to to sort of trumpet the works of people like Wendell Berry and James Rebanks and and the countless others, you know, men and women around the globe, uh, who who thanklessly are still busting their asses, yeah. you know, making peanuts to provide us with that with our delicious comestibles. Um, so th that's that's like my soapbox thing. It's like everybody figure out who your farmers are and start paying attention to them and like send them send them a few bucks. So I was raised by them. And the great thing about farmers, among other things, is that you are a cook, a seamstress, a cobbler, a carpenter, a mechanic. Like frugality is the name of the game. You can't afford to go to the mall and buy replacements of anything. So you learn how to fix everything. 
So for me, my natural tendencies drew me towards carpentry. So by the time I was a teenager, I, I got a job framing houses um, to like save money for college. And my mom and dad, it, it was really crazy that I said, hey, I want to go to theater school and become an actor. No one had ever heard, no one in my whole town and history had ever gone into the arts period in any way. So this was this was bananas that I made this pronouncement, and and they said, well, you've always worked hard, you've you've had some crazy ideas in the past, but you always like kind of come out on top somehow. So we'll support you. Just make sure you have something else to fall back on. Just figure if you can have some way to make money. And so immediately in theater school, uh, one of the classes, all all the kids as freshmen first years had to take costume class, lighting class, scenery class, uh, and, and makeup. And I, I, I loved all of them. I just love making anything with my hands. Uh, but specifically I already had the skills in scenery class to start like using tools and the rest of my class, all these kids from the suburbs in the city, it was as though, you know, I, I suddenly pulled out Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, <laughs> and they were like, "How? How did you? Where did you get that hammer?" And I and I said, "Oh, this is called hammering a nail. It's something my people do. It's, it's actually not considered, uh, you know, any more amazing than like flushing a toilet." Uh, and and the great thing was the shop, the teacher immediately said, "Oh, you have skills." Uh, if you want to, you can start working here and I'll pay you. So immediately I started on the side getting paid to swing a hammer. And that, you know, that saved me. That allowed me to spend four or five years of college and then a few years in Chicago. It kind of took me all that time, I would say, to become decent and ready like that, that seven, let's say seven years of Jedi training before I should be allowed to like handle an actual lightsaber. Give me a stick for seven years. And so during that time, in order to pay my rent and feed myself, mm. I was able to be a carpenter. Um, and, and, and since then, since then things eventually sort of blew up and, and I got like a book deal. So I said, listen, everybody, I, uh, whatever your dream is, try woodworking. <laughs> the, and, and by woodworking, I mean, uh, massage, cooking, knitting, uh, leather work, anything you can do for yourself. You can be your own boss. You can do it in your garage or in a, you know, in, in a corner of your living room, whatever it is, uh, where you can make a few bucks if you're trying to, support yourself until you know your dreams become a reality and the and the funny thing is your dream whatever your dream is it never ends up being i think for most people if your dreams of like you know your late teenage years if those actually came true <laughs> if mine came true i would have died in a drug-fueled motorcycle accident <laughs> by you know by my mid-20s like i'm so grateful that life slowed me down and and you know when i married my wife uh when we met when i was 30 so we've been together 21 years now 
when we met and I was working as an actor, just getting like guest star jobs, and I had I had opened my furniture shop, I couldn't believe how high my life had peaked. Uh, I said, this, this is insane. I'm Mr. Megan Mullally. Uh, my wife is this comedy legend. I'm... I take care of our household. Like I, she comes home from work. I bring her her slippers. Uh, this is amazing. You know, and so, so the, the sort of stratospheric opportunities that have come my way since then have, have just been mind blowing. And, and the great thing about that perspective is then I can say, okay, if I subscribed to fashion, and subscribe to magazines and popular culture and consumerism, I'd be really stressed out. Uh, and I'd probably be trying to become an action hero right now, I guess, because I need to make as much money as possible and have as mm -hmm. many Lamborghinis as possible. Cause that's what we're told. If you, if, if you subscribe to a certain channel and, uh, and I guess it's never, it's never occurred to me to, uh, to change my, I don't know my 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 values where I come from uh which is like have enough beer for everybody and have a refrigerator that you can pay for and you know uh, make sure the roof doesn't leak now of course we we have a ridiculously luxurious version of that here in the hills of Los Angeles but I just have one vehicle you know like I uh I I I still pay a lot of attention so that I don't become an asshole with a yacht. Um, I, th I think I'll be writing about this in this new book, actually. My friend and I go uh, stand-up paddleboarding around a marina in Los Angeles. And imagine a marina. Um, I, I, I suppose there, these exist uh, around England. But, like, the marina in Los Angeles or New York City, where all the rich people have their boats. So this one that we paddleboard around is is so vast, just rows and rows of boats, of, you know, gigantic boats that start at, I, I'm not sure, but probably start at a million and are mostly like, I don't know, $20 million yachts, you know? Um, and the and the funny thing is, my friend and I are having such an amazing time with a stick, and a and a, a board. In out in the on the water, getting some exercise, you know, having the joy of like a bicycle ride or a hike. This happens to be a a paddle board. The the elements, the 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 smells, the open being on the open water, looking at all of these uh, yachts, that. A, nobody's, they're just sitting there. Nobody's using them, A. Mm. I mean, how much wealth is, is that sitting there? But the thing that occurred to me was, I've been on a couple boats like this, um, never by invitation, but only because a movie would be, sh or something would be shooting on one. And the thing that cracks me up about them is, th they're so massive, and their selling point is, 
check out this living room. Like, check out this screening room. <laughs> We've made it feel as though you're not even on a boat. <laughs> Which begs the question, well, what the, why the fuck would I spend $20 million to go on a boat so that it feels like I'm in my apartment? Everybody stop and think about that for a second. And and meanwhile, my friend and I are doing this thing that's literally free for the price of a paddle and a and a board. And I don't know. It, that's, you know, that's the perspective I try to maintain. Um, I, I wrote about it one time when, when Megan and I first bought our, for, uh, our house in the hills and we had a little swimming pool. And I thought... I made it like this is the life of the David Lee Roth video that I always aspired to. <laughs> She's going to work. I'm going to lay in the pool and and I, we have outdoor speakers. I'm going to put on some Neil Young specifically. Uh, everybody knows this is nowhere. I'm going to smoke a joint. And I did those things. And, and it was amazing for like all through the first song. And then the second song started, and I thought, "What, what are you going to just lay here in the pool all day? Like, what are you? Are you going to change your life so that you become a a layabout?" And I was like, "No, Jesus! There's so I have so much to get done, uh, and that gives me so much more pleasure. That's the thing, you know. We we learn again and again in fables that." People who get rich and uh, and try to satisfy themselves with largesse, buying a bigger yacht or eating eating more sandwiches, they just end up miserable and or dead. I think. Um, well, firstly, when you said stand up paddleboarding, I did think it was people telling jokes on a paddleboard, which, to be honest, is, is probably probably quite niche. Um, that's that's something to look into. Yeah. Yeah. What's okay. the deal with? falling off paddleboards <laughs> I guess it could be your opener um, I think gratitude comes up on this podcast quite a lot and it's really refreshing as well because especially during lockdown I think people have or I hope have been sort of taking stock of yes we're in an awful situation and it's terrible and it's worse for some people than others but being able to look at what you do have so my wife and I moved home recently and we've got a garden it's not a huge garden but it's a garden and we've got a 17 month old daughter so we're able to take her out into the garden and have some fresh air and we're, we're hugely grateful for that and, and it's interesting that that clearly seems to be a theme of the things you're talking about there as well and i think you know whatever industry you're in and you're obviously in a crazy one things can can be overwhelming but being able to take stock and be like well i've got this i've, I've done this i'm proud of myself for this i think it's really important to do it and i hope people are doing it during this lockdown as well because um it's been a tough time for everyone it has uh and you know I come from this big family. I have three siblings. They, all three of my siblings have kids. Uh, Megan and I don't have kids. And so that's something I come from. I always thought I would, you know, end up with a bunch of kids, uh, also known as labor. Um, you, <laughs> if, if you have a woodworking shop, you need kids to eventually do all the sanding. Um <laughs> But we ended up, you know, we sort of got started late and we have had a whirlwind life that we sort of decided at one point, you know what, let's not, our friends that do have kids that do what we do, we see the way those kids are subjected. You know, you, suddenly kids are being raised by nannies and, and 
you know, and and some some people are very good at it, uh, and and have uh, incredible kids, and they pull it off. But we said let's let's spare what our kids what that would be <laughs> like. Let's spare them learning um, all about getting through airports around the world, and uh, and so it's something that that I talk with my siblings about a lot, and and it's funny, you know, Megan and I are both able to say when we sort of take stock of things and, and say, okay, I, we can feel good about, uh, you know, the amount of medicine that we have hopefully provided people of one sort or another. Uh, you know, we've devoted our, our working lives to trying to salve the hurt uh, that people have in their souls of, of one sort or another. And that that feels like a good payoff. But I say to my siblings who are a school teacher, a librarian and a brewer, uh, you, you guys are producing humans. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and also you're, you know, in turns, you're like, I mean, you know, ha saint any brewer of beer. I mean, the, that's, that's obvious, but, but even the librarian and the school teacher, you're all, providing this sucker to to people's uh, mental... Everyone is slaking a thirst of one type or another in my family. And it's and it's such a funny thing, you know. Um, my, my, my business and my life has me around. Uh, some of my friends are big shots. And so you'll be over at someone's house that is incredibly opulent you know you'll you'll see into somebody's life but they have a family that lives in that house and that family is comprised of human beings and i i'm always it makes me laugh so much in my own life and in those of my acquaintances it doesn't matter in, in the you know the poorest time of my childhood my dad was a was a school teacher in small town illinois and we had four kids in the family. So so there were some very thin years. My parents are prolific gardeners and, and so forth, as I've described. So I didn't know at the time that we were, you know, uh, lower middle class or that we were or like that this uh, dipped into poverty at times. Mm -hmm. All I know is I was loved and we had a lot of fun. And sometimes it was cold and we'd figure out how to get warmed up. Uh, and some, you know, that meant different things. And now I can be in a mansion and, and you see people thrilled, uh, happy with the work they're doing or absolutely miserable and screaming and sobbing. What's why, why can't, you know, um, the, the, there's that old adage of, of, you know, try to see what it is you have instead of what it is that you have not. And, and I think consumerism really teaches us to focus on what we don't have. Um, yeah. You don't, uh, you, you, have, uh, you have a perfectly good pair of trainers, but do you have them in fuchsia? Check this shit out, you know? And <laughs> yeah. I, like I said, like I now just from saying that hypothetically, I want to go Google search fuchsia athletic I'll shoes because that sounds like a really great idea. What a great color and what a great shoe style. And so, you know, it's that that's 
that's something that I always try to get across to people is uh, I've I've made it to the pool with the joint and the Neil Young song, and it's that uh, it's absolute bullshit <laughs> as a, as something <laughs> to us to which something to aspire to, uh, and and instead the things that you think are f- fulfilling those always remain, and that is sharing love, sharing affection, kindness, um, and and understanding gratitude. something that you you may be familiar with is and that drives me crazy about our business but i think this is true in a lot of like high uh high dollar businesses the more money you make uh the more you are sent free shit the the more successful you are uh, and the first time it happened to me i got some minor tv show and the network was announcing their fall season and they send everybody a gift and they sent uh what the hell was it it was an it was an iPod no it was it was an i it was an iPod i mean it was a nice okay you know, cool a, this is i don't know 18 back when when a, the new iPod was exciting <laughs> and i thought to myself i just got this show where you're going to pay me a year's salary 20 times for 20 episodes. Like I've no other time in my life. Have I needed you to give me an iPod less? Like we should be giving iPods to all, to the guy cleaning our studio or to the lady, you know, taking, and, and it only gets worse from there. Like if you are the headliner, if you're like the lead of a show and you like book a show, they send you they send you these gifts where you're like th- like thank you for this gesture but i don't i don't need a a copper camping kit um i have all the camping gear i need like you know it's it's such such a strange thing um and so that understanding that allows me to try and eschew that sensibility as much as possible and and just remember that it's you know there I've never been to a restaurant that was as good as uh, as pulling a an 8 pound pork shoulder out of my smoker Jim it's us again and uh we've got some big news we have indeed uh Charles I can't believe I'm saying this we've written a book a book about blank moments based on this very podcast. Yeah, we've been recording this podcast for a while now. And if, as we've been doing, we've realised that everyone has these difficult blank moments. All our wonderful guests that we have on the podcast and our listeners get in touch with us all the time to tell us about their own situations, their own experiences of blank moments. And sometimes that can be from a personal life, from their career, the relationships they're in, or maybe it's a public situation. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's one of those terms that could be applied to anything. Social anxiety, imposter syndrome, just sort of generally being off form, having an identity crisis. I mean, it's all part of the human condition. And yet we all get thrown off from time to time and sort of made to feel a bit helpless. Yeah, so the book is made up of all these different chapters that sort of concentrate on these various themes that come up in the pod. So whether it's uh, public failure, social anxiety, fear, mental health, grief, all the things that our amazing guests have talked about on the podcast. 
Yeah, I mean, and those guests include Louis Theroux, David Harbour, Reg D. Hunter, Dawn French, Rachel Paris, Amanda Abington, John Ronson, Rufus Sewell, Gary Lineker, all these people that really opened up to us about these difficult moments. And what we've done is we've dived into them, um, explained how we relate to them, talked a little bit about our own experiences and almost gone on a journey of this discovering blank moments and how they've helped us. And we hopefully we take the reader on a journey with us. Yeah, there's loads of stuff in there for everybody, I think. It's a bit memoir, it's a bit self-help, and there's lots of interactive bits in there as well, so you can do your own gratitude list, and there's tips on uh, if you're having sleeping problems. So all different things that you can take out of the book. And where can people get hold of this book, Jim? Well, so it comes out in March in 2021, but it's available to pre-order right now from Amazon, waterstones.com, and hive.co.uk. Yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to everyone getting their hands on it. And uh, hopefully lots of people will be able to identify their own blank moments. And you never know what you might find out. Was moving to LA a bit of a culture shock then? Was it, was it tricky to get your head round? Well, it was. It was. Uh, the, the idiotic part of it was um, I did it quite blindly. Um, I had a girlfriend in Chicago and we determined that we were going to move to LA together. And then she kind of flaked out. She, she had an, uh, attack of insecurity. She was from Mexico originally. And she, uh, we were in our early twenties. She disappeared, ran out on her rent in her apartment and turned out she went home to Mexico. She was like, ultimately was like, you know what? I'm not going to make a go of it in, uh, in the States, but I already, we were about to move to LA and I, it was all set up. So I just went ahead and did it on my own. And what I, I, I guess, uh, because we were doing it together, I didn't feel the need or, or, or have the wherewithal to reach out to anybody and kind of get the lay of the land. And here was the here was the hilarious uh, 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 misconception that I had. Chicago, it turns out, is the best theater town in the country. Um, New York is wonderful. It has obviously incredible theater, but it has the ulterior motive of Broadway. So, by and large, most of the theater that happens in New York is trying to get to this revenue stream. Yeah. And that really has an effect on the stuff that is produced. Uh, this, is, this is my opinion. Um, in Los Angeles, if people are doing theater, uh, a, a great deal of it is trying to get a job in television or film. So they both have these ulterior motives. If you're doing theater in Chicago, you you probably really love doing theater and so there's there's something there's something workmanlike or something wholesome there's something earnest about chicago theater and and that was my life here's the misconception i said los angeles is probably the greatest collection of actors and writers uh in the country so so it never occurred to me that it wouldn't be as good of a theater town as chicago was and that was my, and I, I had done a couple film jobs in Chicago, but just, you know, little things. I got my my union card, the Screen Actors Guild, uh, but but I had no business. Uh, I I wasn't 
I didn't think I was moving to L.A. to try and make a go. Like, I thought I was moving to L.A. to further my theater career. (laughs) (laughs) So I was, I got to L.A. and I was living in someone's basement. I was couch hopping. And it was, that was the crazy culture shock was, to this day, I've never invested in, like, my appearance. Like, like, uh, all, all of my peers in LA, other young people that had come from Chicago, they, to some extent, they got it. They bought the magazines, they dressed in the cute outfits, they got their hair cut. And if we were lucky enough to get auditions or meetings, they knew the cultural references and so forth. I, I was very lucky. I got good meetings with studios or, or casting people and I would give them my theater resume and I had never been in these meetings where you're just supposed to be apparently so appealing <laughs> that they're like, well, you know, basically I, I want to have sex with you. And, and so I'd like you to, I'd like you to sign this contract before you go over to the other company and they get to have sex with you. And I was like, just look at the paper, like the, uh, where I've been, um, people look at, see the plays that I'm in, and then they cast me in their play. Um, is that not what you, <laughs> how it goes here? And they're like, nah, not really. They, they really weren't interested. This is the, the mid to late nineties. So you had to have, they, everybody wanted you to have something on video. You know, I, I had a wonderful theater resume, like really great stuff at great theaters. And they were, they would just shake their head and say, do you have any tape? Like, do you have, you know, and I was like, no, I need you to give me a job and then I'll have something on tape. So I, I really remained ignorant. Uh, I, I joined a theater company um, and started doing plays. That's where I met Megan. And, and so the culture shock of which you, you ask happened after I'd been here for about three years. I was living in this, because I I refused to chase it. Like when I saw how superficial and the business was, I was like, this, uh, this is not for me. I can't go into meetings and just be cool. Like I don't operate on that channel. And so I did the meetings I needed to, but then I just worked as a carpenter and uh, and, and that allowed me to keep paying my rent. Then I met Megan doing a play. And, and so in truth, you know, in hindsight, I was correct to come to LA, uh, and do theater. It didn't, it, it, it was, it, it was rough for a couple of years, but when I met Megan, it saved my life. It changed my life. Um, being able to, you know, when I agreed to be in this play with this fancy TV actress who had just, she was she was about to win her first Emmy for Will and Grace. Uh, she had she had just finished the first two seasons of Will and Grace, and so she's this big shot. I did not, uh, I had not owned a TV for ten years. I had not seen Will, Will and Grace. I knew that it existed, but I was. That's the crazy thing. I moved to L.A. and I was like anti-TV because in Chicago, that was a defense mechanism. 
that allowed you to stay in Chicago. You're like, I'm not going to go to L.A. and be some douchebag TV actor. <laughs> um, or, or I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go to New York. You know, I'm, I'm going to stay in Chicago because that <laughs> because that because I'm scared, you know, basically. And uh, so when Megan and I kind of like hit it off and 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 became uh, an item and I had to learn to live in her world, I, I, I'm getting like clammy just thinking about it. Like the first time she took me to like get clothes that I could wear to an award show with her because I, I was literally living in someone's basement. I was a, I was a laborer. I was, a, I was filthy uh, and happily so. But like all my clothes were torn, you know, I, I didn't. So she took me shopping and she at a fancy store and for like a, suits. And she sent me over to the socks and underwear counter. She said, go get some black socks and some T-shirts. And I said, hey, can I get, you know, some socks? And they were like, yeah, do you just want, do you want just, and I said, just, just black socks. And they said, okay, the, you know, we have, we have these, you know, these ordinary ones for $36 a pair. And I punched the man in the nose. You know, <laughs> in my imagination was, was like, I was so angry. I'm still so fucking pissed. Like it's so, cr I don't, I don't approve of that part of human civilization. I love that we're creative and that like you can spend $2 on an amazing burrito or two thousand dollars on on a you know a teacup of pea juice that has magical properties. I love that about humanity that we're magical and that we're creative. But the fact that there are, that like you know an award show, there are customs that are so calcified that like you have to wear a black tie tuxedo to the thing. Mm -hmm. You know it's it's part of it's part of why there's this exciting sort of explosion happening as we speak with, with the Oprah interview with, with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle that like, you know, uh, centuries of, of the white supremacy of the monarchy are being exposed and, and it's wonderful and healthy and by, like, it's about time. Like, it's and and in in the American government as well, you know. I meant to say this earlier when I mentioned the Civil War. Something I always try to keep in mind when discussing these things is a bunch of these states made all their money using slaves after we had killed off the Native Americans to get the land on which to make the money with the slaves. Then we had the Civil War where, you know, we we bloodily and and brutally made everyone say, "Okay, no more slaves." Well, the slave people, it's not like they, then they just suddenly got cool. They, you know, they still had all the money they had made, all the institutions that slavery had built. And the, and it's not that long ago. And they're like, oh, son of a bitch, how can we get these damn decent people who think everybody is, should have equal rights? How can we get back on top of them? And we're so deeply guilty of, of you know, we're arguing every day in our government over just should everyone get the same shit. Yeah. 
regardless of if they're white or black or or any you know level of melatonin or sexuality or religion or whatever um we th th that the fact that those things are coming to light i mean you know we're all not as young as we used to be and so if you if you had told me in high school that marijuana would just become available <laughs> like the most amazing marijuana would just become available across our country or that that gay marriage would just be like a sh an openly like yeah of course like what else would you what would you do if you had told me those things would exist in my lifetime i would have done cartwheels for days and so you know for, for that's what keeps me optimistic is to take a little step back at the end of that book you held up gumption uh the mm. it, it profiles 21 muckraking americans that that uh that are my heroes from george washington book. men and women all the way up ending with conan o'brien who's a good friend of mine and and conan says the most wonderful thing where he says you know it's always been shit. If you look at our history, we've never been better than we are now. We've always been killing each other. We're always we're always humans, you know. And and certain degrees of of brutality and war and slavery and all this stuff, the world is tolerating it less and less, and it's that's going to keep growing. And hopefully, eventually, there won't be slavery and human trafficking and whatever you know all of all of the things that are damaging to the planet and therefore us or to us and therefore the planet even but even when we have eradicated those things we will still need to be vigilant about the fact that we're human beings sharing all the shit <laughs> no matter how happy a group of people is if there's if there's 12 disciples and 11 apples then we're going to have to take a deep breath and have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And to be honest, the history of our country is, is, is probably even worse as well, but that, that, that's another, that's another podcast. Um, Giles, we have uh, something exciting to announce here in the middle of the podcast. Um, and that is that we are launching blank merchandise. It's official. No way. Proper, <laughs> proper merchandise. Proper merchandise. So if our listeners would like to buy blank merchandise, they can go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank. And you can get, well, you can get a range of things, can't you? You can get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs. What else? Baby grows? Baby grows. Because I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of babies out there that love the blank podcast. Um, I know mine does. Um, and you can also get, the, we've got various um, designs, didn't we? We've got one that's got our blank logo on, uh, and then mm -hmm. we've got two that are inspired by pod guests. Yeah, one of them was inspired by Rebecca Callard, who was on, I think, the eighth episode of the Blank Pod, mm. and hers was to do with her video collection, which we were talked about at some length, and we thought that what video library, which was the video shop I worked in back in the 90s, was an excellent name for a romantic <laughs> band of the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, and then you made this uh, this great, uh, what looks like album cover of you and me with um, hair from Flock of Seagulls. Um, so we mm -hmm. thought, you know what, let's make that into a design. So you can get that on t-shirts and hoodies and, and sweatshirts. And then we've got one that's inspired by Sanjeev Bhaskar when he talked about the three different stages of blank, fearful blank, 
neutral blank and happy blank. And we've turned that into a design as well. So um, we've got various uh, designs that people can can get um, and in different colours as well. I'm, I'm very excited by this, Charles. I'm really excited. It feels like we're a proper thing now. It does indeed. Um, so if our listeners would, would like to buy some merch... Um, the T-shirts, for example, are 18 quid. Um, the hoodies are 27 quid. Uh, the tote bags are 17 <sighs> quid and mugs are 15 quid. And, of course, we do get a small cut as well of, of everything that's sold. So if you'd like to support the pod, um, then you can do it in this way and you'll get yourself some exclusive blank merchandise. So go to podcastmerch.co.uk forward slash blank. You said a really nice thing a minute ago as well. You talk so warmly about your wife, Megan. And um, and I should mention as well that my, my wife, Miranda, is a huge fan of Megan's big Will, Will and Grace fan. So she'll kill me if I, if I don't mention that. But you sort it of said this thing sense. about... <laughs> I know. I know my place. Um, you know, we look back on our lives and the choices we've made and you talk about this choice to come out to L.A. and... You know, I met my wife on a stand-up comedy course and we both happened to make that choice that year to, to do this course and, you know, it was... I'm the only one from that course still doing stand-up, but actually we, it was such a great decision because we met each other and sometimes you can look back and ask yourself why you made these decisions and did these things, but it's all part of the journey. Every decision you've made has brought you to where you are now and, you know, the possibilities are endless, but you've met this amazing person through this decision to moved to LA I met this amazing person deciding to do stand-up at a particular time in 2011 whenever it was and it's really important to just I think recognize those moments and those choices and they are all part of the makeup that's brought you to this moment right now they are and and there's no um you know I mean we still every day we make decisions uh life-changing decisions based on our guts um we get asked to do a lot of things and we get offered jobs, you know, across the spectrum from like, come, come be in a movie or will you, uh, to take part in this charity event or, or whatever it is. And we just constantly have to follow our gut. Um, because if, if I followed the playbook of, uh, of commerce, I again, I, I would have I would have driven straight into a cliff face uh, many years ago, because it's 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 illogical and it can't. You literally, I I stand by this. You can't chase fame and fortune and end up happy. No, it's it, no one has done it. <laughs> um, and I know a lot of famous people and a lot of wealthy people. Um, and you can, uh, you, you you can achieve happiness uh, and or peace, but it's not because of the fame and fortune. They they happen to be coincidental. Um, if you can pull that off, uh, I, I doff my cap because usually fame and fortune get in the way. They you realize that they're mm. obstacles to uh, to happiness in life. That's that's why you hear so many stories of people who have made it in any sort of way in any business, um, retiring to to become a fishing guru, or or just chasing simplicity. 
it's all you ever, you never hear like I'm gonna I've, I've made a fortune so I'm gonna set that business aside and redouble my efforts and, and start a new business it's you know something I've learned is people in in my in show business who do really well and it's something I'm always aware of because I'm still creating content you know the the years that we made parks and recreation for example was this as you say jim the the serendipity uh the synchronicity of this group of people coming together at the time that they did and making the show that we did 125 episodes no one could have written that recipe it you know it relied on a lot of of really good fortune and uh, from which so many of us have benefited uh for me personally, like it's still paying dividends just like crazy. Like I can go to Australia and sell out a theater and it's not because I'm, they saw a picture of me and they thought I was so good looking. It's because <laughs> they love parks and recreation. 85% and maybe there's 10% woodworking <laughs> fans and, you know, not, not to, I'll, I'll give myself a, a, a modicum of credit, but, uh, as I'm still creating content and and I'm agreeing to participate in more collaborative efforts with people, it it often begs that question of of like, will anything ever be parks and recreation again? And the easy uh, and clear answer is no, it couldn't possibly be. Um, but my my inspiration is when I when I was an up and comer. Bill Macy, who is uh, William H. Macy, uh, who's yeah. in a show called Shameless now, but everyone I know him from Brilliant Fargo. Actor, yeah. He's Jerry Lundegaard in Fargo, yeah. Yeah. and and I for, I forget uh, exactly how I forget what the age difference is, but like I was in maybe my late twenties, and and I had this idea. He had come from Chicago theater. And I think he made Fargo when he was like 40 or 43 or something. So I had this, that I, I set these, uh, I set the bar for myself where I'm like, well, Bill Macy didn't get Fargo till he was 43. So I have till then. <laughs> um, and then, you know, and then once Parks and Recreation happened and I went through this incredible uh, life change, you know, then then you look in the mirror and say, now what, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> and I say, well, Brian Cranston had an incredible uh, run on a comedy called Malcolm in the Middle. Mm -hmm. Then he took some years off. Then he did Breaking Bad. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, and I just remain open to the possibility that, of course, I, there won't be another. I won't do Breaking Bad. I won't do another Parks and Rec. Uh, but maybe I'll write a really good book or maybe I'll just make a great pie. And that's amazing too. You know, that's yeah. uh, back to what I try to communicate to my family is like the difference. We're, we're both doing uh, the best work we can. Mine just happens to be broadcast to the public. So let's, let's all bear in mind, you guys know me. And frankly, I'm I, I'm a fan of my blueberry uh, my blueberry pie, 
but I'd put any of their three baked goods in front of my own. Um, and that's the fun. That's the funny thing. Um, as a woodworker, I'm very proud of so much of the stuff that I've made in my life. The the more successful I am as an actor, the less time I get to spend making stuff in mm-hmm. the wood shop. And yet, in certain circumstances, if I go on a show, they love to introduce me as a master woodworker. And I always try to step step in and say, please don't call me that because I'm friends with many master woodworkers and they're masters because they are pursuing mastery. They spend their mm-hmm. days and years becoming more and more astonishing at the wizardry of what they can do with their hands and their tools. I'm here on your show. I'm <laughs> they're in their shop making a chair right now. I'm here making funny faces to entertain all the fans of Graham Norton. <laughs> I was going to say, Nick, I know we've taken a lot of your time and I appreciate it. Um, I was going to say, you've, you've, you've come across in our conversation as being quite self-deprecating. Um, and I think, you know, I obviously think you're in- incredibly talented of all the things that you do, but is that more to do with the fact that you, and you alluded to it earlier, that you're still learning all these things? Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. I mean, they're 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 inseparable. Those two uh, those two things. Um, I don't know. When I watch, you know, like people know me best for Parks and Rec. So when I watch Parks and Rec, and the things that people love the most, like the iconic moments or whatever for my character Ron Swanson, when I watch those, I don't. Go- I I don't see myself as Michael Jordan executing the world's greatest dunk. I don't nod smugly and say, "You, you nailed that, you magnificent son of a bitch. No matter what it is, I'm an artist. I'm a human artist. So I, you, I can never get it right. That's, that's what's so wonderful about human beings is we love to see each other try to get it right. And sports in specific, no one has ever played a perfect game of cricket. Like they literally never can. But man, when somebody gets close, it's so thrilling. It's so thrilling. The couple times I've been in a in a in an English football stadium, and you know, sung your support is fucking shit along with <laughs> thousands of people. To, to see the, the the you know these magnificent specimens flirt with with perfection, that's what it's all about. And so, when I watch myself, or I read myself, or I see myself, I, I you know I can't help but see what I would do better next time. And so the fact that people say, "Hey, that was great. Here's a lot of reward for your effort." I say thank you very much, but I don't. I don't let that assuage me from my opinion. <laughs> and I'm like, well, don't get cocky, buddy. You're gonna. They're gonna. You're gonna have to try again next time, and you're. you're it's gonna be with the same set of tools that you brought this time. So it's not. Oh. I mean, I don't. I don't. I don't even see it as self-deprecation. I just see it as realism. Like we're all. Uh, we're all doing our best. Uh, to to follow whichever path it is that we're on, and um, 
and I, I just keep minding my manners in the hopes that, uh, that I'll be asked back. Well, we've lost Jim. So, um, <laughs> thank God I wanted, yeah. to, now we can talk about him. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, no, Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'm sure he'd be back, but we'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll say that's, uh, well, you know, we've always taken up an hour and a half of your time, so I appreciate that. Well, it's it's my pleasure. I, uh, you know, it's one of those things that um, I I love listening to all kinds of podcasts, and uh, you know, it's an opportunity. Your your uh, your audience, um, I think, uh, will be very susceptible to the messages of. Wendell Berry and uh, and you know pe- people often ask me because he is quite prolific he's got over 40 books published and people often ask where to begin mm. and um, I always I always suggest starting where I did with a couple books of short stories one is called uh, Watch With Me and one is called Fidelity uh, that's for his fiction and and I his body of fiction is all of a piece. It's uh, dozens of short stories and and uh, a bunch of novels, um, but they're all about the same fictional small town in Kentucky, and it covers, it, you know, it focuses on a few families over four or five generations. So it's like this massive pastiche that he, it's like a quilt that he just keeps filling in with everything that he writes. Um, and uh, his poetry, you mentioned uh, uh, The Piece of Wild Things. Um, a Timbered Choir is a great book. But then his essays, and actually the thing he's best known for are his essays. He had That's a book interesting. In, yeah. the, in the, around 1976, um, he had a book called The Unsettling of America. And that really sort of, that expl- that's when he became the agrarian rock star that, uh, that he is today. Um, if you if you check out our documentary, um, look and see, you get you get a lot of this a lot of his point of view. But he just you know he just brings the common sense of a farmer to dealing with you know the ills of society, and it just makes a lot of sense because before we built the first subway or traffic light or skyscraper, that's we were all that farmer saying, okay, how do we use the, the the elements uh on this acreage to uh keep ourselves alive so that eventually we can create netflix um <laughs> <laughs> well i mean he's uh, yeah i mean I, I i love um the piece of wild things i've got it here my props um i i just you know i think i said to you before nick that when i was writing 152 days um Wendell Berry and Sharon Sharon Olds as well. I don't know if you know the work of Sharon Old. Um, she, I'll, I'll, I'll send you some information about her books. But she again is, uh, has a wonderful um, economy with words, and I say that in the nicest possible way. Um, that's yeah, just, absolutely. That's the thing as a writer uh, and and um, looking up to Wendell. Uh, for some reason, I think. Be- um, I also 
had Mary Oliver just leap into my mind. But, mm. but the, the, their writing drives me crazy when I then sit down to write because <laughs> specifically because of that economy that their sentences are so powerful, but there's never an extra word. I mean, the, he, the, you know, Wendell, um, there's, a, there's a great short story called The Lost Bet. And I mean, this, he, he, it's like he takes the book and slaps you upside the head with it. The, <laughs> the sentences are so poignant and, and, and well-crafted. And, uh, and again, you know, it, it's one of those things. I, I'm good friends with, uh, with some other great writers. And when I read them or listen to them and think, man, I will, I will never be able to do what they do. And then, and then I say, you know, that's that's the the weak side, and then the strong side or the sagacious side that has been around for a minute says, that's correct. You will never be able to do what they do, <laughs> but you're being very well recompensed to do what you do. So shut up and keep <laughs> keep doing what you do as best you can. And I say, okay, okay, lay off. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today, Nick. Honestly, it's been a real treat to talk to you and I really appreciate you coming on the pod. And um, for what it's worth, I think you write very, very well. So um, I should continue to enjoy your books and look forward to the next one. Well, thank you. I, I'll say just just wait. <laughs> <laughs> just wait till I get good. Um, and, you know, I, I also, uh, my big heartbreak when the pandemic hit was I was supposed to tour England and 10 European cities with my last comedy show, which was called All Rise. Mm. Uh, and I was just so gutted. Um, I just, I love, especially get like I had a show in Nottingham getting to go to these places that I've read about my whole life, you know, um, it's so thrilling. And, and it's something that my wife, my wife and I just love. In fact, that's that's our the pipe dream we talk about the most is one day touring uh, England and Scotland and Ireland very slowly by car, where we do maybe two shows a week and spend the rest of the time just seeing the the countryside and the people and uh, and tasting the flavors. Uh, so so I really hope you know. When when the world opens up again, and uh, if uh, if if I can still get an invite, I'll bring my clumsy songs. the uh, The last show, All Rise, the the show closed with a song entitled "Us Dipshits Got to Stick Together," <laughs> and that uh, and that I stand by. If anyone th- anyone who doesn't uh, realize that they're a dipshit um, just needs to pay a little more attention to the world around them. <laughs> well, if you, we, if you are able to visit the UK, we will take you to uh, watch the football team we support called Crystal Palace and we can yeah. sing your support is fucking shit to the opposition as long as possible. I, I, will, uh, I will bring my full voice. <laughs> and you can paddleboard down um, on our little stretch of the coast as well. There's lots of paddleboarders so I think you know there's two there's two um, invites already. So that you'll be yeah, and I must take you if you do come. You, I must take you to Nepcastle, 
you can see the rewilding project because they do safaris and it's fantastic I, I would love to look sounds like sounds like we have uh, a full a full tour schedule <laughs> yeah. thanks nick Brilliant. thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you my pleasure Th- thank you so much for having me and uh i hope i hope you get some of my weather and i get some of yours lovely oh it's been brilliant thank you it's been uh, yeah it's been so so good talking to you we really really appreciate your time well let's keep up the good work and i look forward to shaking hands fantastic brilliant cheers gents There you go. Nick Offerman on the blank podcast. I mean, Giles, it was everything I hoped mm. for and more. What a great guy. Just some wonderful advice. Fantastic stories. I mean, most of the pod, you and I just got to sit there and listen. It was almost like we're having a sort of our own sort of solo stand up show at yeah, times. Just, yeah. um, you know, he's just such a natural speaker and uh, some really nice sort of humbling bits of advice and stories in there as well from someone that's you know, one of the biggest celebrities in the world. So I just think very inspiring person, but just a very humble person. So, um, yeah, thank you, Nick, so much for giving your time uh, for us on the Bank Podcast. We really appreciate it. What, what a top man. Yeah, it was lovely. I, I will really feel like I've learned a lot tonight, really. I think that's lots of takeaways and things to be thinking about going forward. And, um, yeah, I hope we get to uh, take uh, Nick to Palace. Oh, I think he'd love it, Estelle's. He'd love it. He'd love the chance. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really, that'd be really good. I'll, I'll be making notes throughout this one. James Rebanks, I'm going to go and follow mm. on, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, so many book recommendations he mentioned as well. So if you're someone that's into your, you know, your books and stuff like that, then there's been plenty of recommendations in this episode alone. So, uh, yeah, just a. Yeah, and I felt like I learned something as well. I almost mentioned that during the pod as well. Like, and that—that's the beauty of doing these episodes. Is we do we learn something from everyone that mm. we talk to. Um, be it factual stuff like Nick today was, you know, offering us a lot of sort of interesting facts about parts of American life that I didn't know. But it's advice, you know. It's um, all sorts of things we learn from our guests, and that's the beauty of doing this. We're able to sit down and talk to these interesting people, and there's always a takeaway, and there was plenty today in this episode. So. Yeah, another episode where I feel very grateful. I know that, that was a theme that mm. came up as well to talk to these people, and it was no different today. So thank you, Nick. Yeah, and what I thought was great, um, and you sort of said it at the beginning, was you know we the conversation goes where it goes. You know, we don't have obviously we're trying to yeah. explore those sort of difficult moments in life, and we obviously did that with Nick to a certain extent. But it's also nice that it's a natural conversation between people and you just it organically moves where it moves um so we've managed to talk about all so many different things which is which is wonderful and wonderful to be able to have that time with that person and um i really was sort of thinking about that a lot as we went through and how lucky we get with with our guests that we are able to have these genuine kind of conversations about all different kinds of things yeah no we are very lucky indeed we're also lucky to have lovely listeners and followers so if anyone's listening that that wants to get in contact and let us know what you've taken away from this episode or other episodes you've enjoyed please do uh tweet us that's where most of our action happens on our twitter account and our twitter handle is 
We're also on Instagram and Facebook. It's the exact same handle. At blank pod. Uh, and we're also, we also have an email address if you'd like to email us about literally anything. Our email address is... Theblankpodcast2018 at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from you. Um, and that's it, Giles. A massive thanks to Nick for joining us. What a legend. Um, and thank you to our listeners for, as ever, listening and just being a lovely bunch of people. Um, and thank you for being you and for for joining me this evening on on this evening i feel like i'm going to get for here on this evening blank podcast <laughs> and now the news <laughs> anyway yeah yes thank you jim thank you it was a pleasure a pleasure always a pleasure to spend time in your company ah oh, bless you thank you uh so that's it we'll be back next week with another episode on the blank podcast until then stay safe look after yourselves and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Thank you.